at long last. You can take your slang and yeet it where the pog doesn't shine. have at last come to the final episode. Barring, of course, our special coming up, a wonderful not-to-be-missed spectacular, The Battle of Criers Boulevard. Whatever you do, do not miss it. Welcome, friends, <laughs> to the very last episode of the New Albion Radio Hour. Barring our special, of course, I am your host, Lloyd Allen. Folks, I just want you to all know how much it has meant to me to come spend this time with you. How much I value each and every one of you. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, it's hard to do this with a straight face. I just want you to know how much you mean to me. You are so special. <laughs> oh, God, I can't. This is too much. You are all valid. <laughs> Little points of light. <laughs> Each and every one of you. <laughs> ah, yes. Who wouldn't enjoy being your Dancing little performing monkey, constantly trying to come up with ridiculous new bits of idiocy to amuse your putrid, tasteless, shockingly incapable attention spans. Being a jester for morons, yes. I am a savant at language acquisition, you feeble-minded toads. I can learn a language in a week, master several dialects in an afternoon. Oh, look at funny Lloyd. Can't learn a bunch of slang devised by a tribe of mental midgets. But I did it. Played the fool. And it worked. It worked. I have built a psychic siphoning battery from scratch. Roped you idiots in so that at last my master plan can come to fruition. And I can leave this accursed feces state of a narrative and join my beloved once again. I don't know where he is. But I'll find him. I'm coming, my love. I'm coming. Soon we'll be together again. I don't like... I don't like carrying around this anger. It's... This is weight. I don't think I can bear much longer. I was never like this before. I just... I can't function alone like this. My thoughts... Consumed by rage... This isn't me. I'm not... I've never been this bad. I'm more than this. This isn't... This isn't who I ever wanted to be. I... I'm not whole. I know I'm not. My balance. I have no balance. 
I know something's wrong with me. I know. But if I can just make it back to Ravy, I know everything will be better. I can do it. I'm almost there. Soon. Soon, my love. I'm coming. I swear, just wait for me, just a little longer. I'm coming. I'm coming, Gravy. I'll do it. So, <clears throat> stay tuned for our special episode, The Battle of Criers Boulevard. But for now, the conclusion of our long story, our final episode, The Gnome War, Part 5. The general's troops moved into the battle space like a semicircular wall closing. Three of the streaming pillars of gnomes turned towards them and pummeled into the wall of troops at three different points. The wall shuddered, the impact clearly taking a toll, but the wall held. The solid line of troops remained unbroken. The buzz swarm of gnomes swirled around a few times more than went after the two ends of the troop wall. The general grunted. Damn things are smarter than they look, but they'd have to think I'm an idiot to be outflanked at the very beginning of the battle. Behind the wall of troops were several thick blocks of cavalry, including two especially thick blocks behind both of the ends. Two of the massive black gnome tentacles hit the ends with a brutal force, but the ends showed even less signs of weakness. They took the impact stoically. They're going to search for signs of weakness in the wall, the general said. This was exactly what happened. The massive swarm of black gnomes would become a series of arcing pillars or tentacles that poured out and hit various points of the troop wall dead on. The impact was devastating, but the wall held. Again and again this happened, pummeling and pummeling and pummeling, the gnomes attempting to wear down the line or find a point of weakness. Two of the impacts proved weaker points in the wall existed. Asha had by now reconvened with the general, where she was safest. After all, if the general went down, all was lost. The boy stood with him, too. What kind of fool do they take me for? the general snarled. He had at his side a whip made of light, perhaps laser, perhaps some type of fire Asha had never seen. He stepped out to where it wouldn't hit Osher or the boy, and then took the whip and executed a series of colorful, intricate patterns with it as he whipped it over his head skillfully. The patterns were clearly orders to his lieutenants. The wall began to move. Instead of a line that was just slightly curved, it became a V-shape, pointing outwards, towards the gnomes, and what were formerly blocks behind the line now formed solid protection so that there were no weak spots. The triangle continued moving into a three-dimensional, six-sided shape before the gnomes could consider attacking them from above or below. Wave after wave, the gnomes came at the troops, crashing against them, trying to break a single point, and while the troops gritted and strained against the fierce onslaught, they held. The general executed another series of whip patterns, and laser cannons fired from the edges of the space around the battlefield. 
Explosions burst at multiple points in the black mass of gnomes, and their dying screams could be heard where Asha and the general stood. This is the tricky part, said the general. My guess is they'll go for the cannons, and I hope those posties know what they're doing. Once again, the general was correct. With new targets to go for, the black mass became a new series of streaming pillars, tentacles aiming for the cannons. Atop 13 of the cannons were the crossroads posties, who stood on them, riding them like surfboards. The cannons flew into the battlefield, attempting to avoid the attacking black streams, sometimes changing forms to become all sorts of projectile shooting weapons. If a black tentacle attempted to attack a cannon from behind, the posties changed its form to some sort of rear-shooting weapon. Each cannon changed according to the whim and imagination of the postie riding it. The six-sided block of troops at the center of all this slowly rearranged themselves to form what could only be described as a spear. It took off and aimed itself at the center of the black mass, thrusting itself for what it hoped would be a debilitating blow to the gnome's center. But the gnomes were too agile. As the spear raced into their center, the center simply dissipated and there was nothing to hit. The spear moved through emptiness, surrounded by the swirling, ever-changing black streams, which then constricted upon it, squeezing the troop spear. The troop spear held, but its momentum was halted. It was caught in the center of the black mast, being squeezed and choked by the tentacles. Shit, said the general. The flying cannons, or whatever they were at any given moment, flew around the center attempting to break the black tentacles squeezing the troops. One postie turned the cannon into a whirling saw, which worked the best. It cut into one of the black tentacles effectively. Seeing this, some of the others followed suit. Two of the posty cannons, however, were on the outskirts of the action, trying to work their way in when two of the black tentacles opened to form a cup shape. The two cups surrounded the two cannons and then closed in on them, becoming balls with the cannons in center. The balls squeezed, and when they dissipated, the cannons and the posties were gone, devoured. The six-sided troop mass attempted to form new spikes to break out of their plight, but they were firmly stuck. The battle had reached an impasse, and the troops were at the disadvantage, being gradually worn down, the black tentacles slowly squeezing it and squeezing it, the troops being slaughtered bit by bit. This is why we have reinforcements, screamed the general. Ask and ye shall receive, said Raven. He and Lloyd flew up to the general. We bring you your reinforcement, general, said Lloyd. From outside the battlefield they came, the teddy bears. They formed their own shapes, which looked like a series of sparklers, about twenty spiked balls that glowed and sparkled flew in, a teddy bear at each center. Everything the sparkling ball touched was ravaged, and the massive tentacles of black gnomes quickly learned to avoid contact with them at all costs. The sparkling teddy bear balls converged in the center where the troops sat, freeing them, forming a protective barrier around them. The troops fired out from the center, avoiding the sparkly balls, sending streams of deadly fire and bullets out into the swirling gnomes. Now it was the gnomes' turn to be picked off. 
the great mass of black morphing tentacles struggled to find a way to attack this constellation of deadly sparkly balls with a solid mass at the center firing every weapon they had madly out at the moving gnomes. We've got them, said the general. Now we must close the passage. The general did another series of movements with his glowing whip. This was a cue to Michael and Jill. Their job, after escaping the initial gnome wave, was to make their way back behind the open gateway the gnomes had poured through and meet Saradwan and Doug. Together, they would all close the portal. All four of them were already there. Okay, Saradwan said, it's just like I showed you. The four of them did a series of hand movements while visualizing the passageway shrinking. It shrank, but they could feel pressure building behind it. There's another wave coming, said Jill. Can you feel that rumble? Close it, said Doug, now. They did, just as they felt a weird impact against the air around them. Nice work, said Sarah Dwan. The rumbling intensified, though. Doug looked around, panic in his eyes. They could all feel it. Jill cast a spell and formed a protective bubble around them. The rumble continued to grow, like massive pressure building behind the very space around them. We need to get out of here, said Michael. No, look, said Doug. Over there, a crack. Sure enough, over where he was pointing, space was beginning to crack open. I'm going to close it, said Doug. Stay in the protective sphere, said Jill. I don't think we can stop this. Do you feel that? This isn't about a little crack. Doesn't matter how many cracks, said Doug. We'll seal them all as they come. Michael nodded. It made sense. Doug flew over to the crack and worked on sealing it. At least a dozen points of space burst open, ripping wide into gaping wounds in level five. Out of these wounds poured more gnomes, tearing the holes further and further open, and Doug was engulfed instantly. Saradwan screamed. Don't leave the sphere, Jill shouted. Saradwan left the sphere. Gnomes poured through twelve holes now, not one. Reinforcements, everything the gnomes had to throw into the battle. Saradwan transformed. She became a shrieking, vengeful demon. A convalescing, undead witch in white, her screams almost unbearable. She flew into the midst of one of the black pillars pouring in, and tentacles broke as gnome guts flew in a liquid spray all around. This kept going and going, space filling with black gnome gore until finally the flowing tentacle dissipated, and all that remained was Sarid one, half-eaten, laying dead in a sea of uncountable, liquefied gnome remains. The waves of gnome reinforcements converged upon the sparkly center where the bears and the troops sat wearing down the initial legion of gnomes. The cannons circled them. The gnomes' tactic was brutally self-sacrificing. It was the same idea they had before to destroy the cannons. They simply formed a massive ball and closed it in on the allies. The number of gnomes gutted as the ball closed was shocking, but it was also successful. Every cannon was destroyed, and with it, every crossroads posty. There were none left now. The teddy bears were untouched. The gnomes couldn't figure out how to touch them without dying, but they were sent flying. The troops at the center were broken. They too fled, in smaller phalanxes now, over half of them killed and devoured. 
The toll on the gnomes had been great. It was a near-suicidal play, but the gnomes' numbers were overwhelming, and now all that remained was to pick their enemies off. The general pulled down his visor and prepared to ride into battle to join his troops and go down fighting at their side. The boy put a hand on the general's shoulder. No, he said. Wait. Lloyd stood aghast. We need William, he said. We have William, said Asha. We always have. She turned to the boy. Isn't that right? The boy smiled sadly at her, clearly upset by the devastation. I like this archetype a lot, he said. It's so much fun. Although, I think I might try Old Coot next. Or Wise Old Man in Disguise. I don't know, Old Coot sounds fun. Lots of Old Man subcategories to try out. In a bit, though, he sighed. Finally, finally I can act. Raven stared at him. I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, look, don't take this the wrong way, but we've just watched all the Crossroads people we worked so hard to rescue get slaughtered, along with Lord knows how many of the General's beloved troops, and now you decide it's time to act? I don't, I mean, seriously. The boy shook his head. I know, I know. But the Lost Ones can back me up on this. This will only work if I wait until after the sacrifice has occurred. If I act before the sacrifice, it would have failed and we'd lose. I know it's barbaric. He looked down sadly. The rules are so cruel sometimes. So cruel. I will change them if I ever reach the path's end. But for now, it's the best I can do. For now, I can at least act in vengeance. He looked back up, a shadow across his face. Lloyd nodded thoughtfully. So, if I may ask, why come to war as a boy? Surely there are more fitting archetypes to go to war as. Why a boy? William smiled at him. Oh, there's so many interesting subcategories to play with. For this particular moment, I've been dying to try this one out. I don't know what the proper name for it is. I don't know what the proper name for anything is, but I call it Little Damien. William's eyes turned blood red. A nefarious sigil appeared on his forehead, and wisps of sulfur drifted up from his body. In levels one to four, it would be unthinkable for the hordes of hell to just materialize out of thin air. You can't actually make something from nothing, certainly not from your imagination, and certainly not the legions of hell with the snap of the fingers. But level five is a level of concepts, home of archetypes, possibilities and ideas swirl in and out of existence as a matter of course up here. When William becomes little Damien, son of the devil and leader of the hordes of hell, whether such a thing exists or not, it exists now. William is correct. The rules can be cruel, especially in certain configurations. There are other configurations in which it would have been possible to dispel the threat of the gnomes without sacrifice and bloodshed. But William is, after all, only a student himself, 
and still learning with a very long way to go on his path. And so, unable at this point in his development to have conceived another way, he joined the way of war. And to his credit, what he does is spectacular. The concept of the hordes of hell is a mighty one. Many a beleaguered battalion of soldiers has wished upon a battlefield that the hordes of hell could suddenly materialize and come to their aid. This is the only recorded time in history when this has in fact happened. The legions of hell come out of nowhere, and suddenly the gnomes are beset on all sides by berserk demons bent on their destruction. The gnomes were in fact simply victims of their own hubris. Had they never come to level 5, this would never have been possible. They had, up until this point, simply never run across a competing force capable of resisting them, so they had concluded that such a force didn't exist. And in their triumphant, conquering march, they had finally left the realms they knew, where the laws governing reality worked in their favor, and entered a realm where a single, well-enough-developed transhuman could overpower, subjugate, and destroy them. Although even he had to obey rules and laws of the realm that were complex and difficult to understand and master. Furthermore, the gnomes, in an absolutely foolish strategic blunder, had committed themselves entirely to this single battle. After the horrific destruction by the snarling legions of demons that were even now slaughtering them in numbers too horrific to even describe, there would be small conclaves left, but these would be hunted down by the remaining troops of the general. In the center of the vicious slaughter stood William, in the form of a ten-year-old boy, skin red, eyes glowing, infernal sigils on his body giving off smoke, floating in space, hands at his side, commanding silently the legions of hell in an apocalyptic battle that would spell the end of an entire species. The teddy bears, in their sparkly orbs, flew about singing merry songs and doing their share of decimation. The troops were fighting too, although some had just taken to standing and staring. This would be the best drinking story they would ever have to tell. And finally, it was over. The slaughter completed, the gnomes viscerated, William's flesh became normal, and the legions of hell simply faded back into the air of potential that permeated level 5 space. The gnomes should be thankful they hadn't tried this on level 6, where things really get crazy. The troops cheered. The general, however, was a little sad. Everyone got to die in battle except me, he said. Yes, but you can drink in celebration with the troops for a week after the victory, said Lloyd. That can't be all bad. The general nodded in agreement. No, it's not. Well, I must say, you squishy little sweet ones know how to throw a great party. Jill and Asha hugged him and promised to visit and tell him immediately the next time they knew of a suicidal last stand. He tried to shake Michael's hand, but Michael hugged him too, and even Lloyd and Raven promised to visit him if they ever set about on their travels. Back at the playhouse, they also bade goodbye to William. 
You can't stay here, William told them. Please, I beg you, you have to leave this level. We will, said Michael. Well, Sarah Dwan left us a short list of things to try out and learn. It isn't even very much. She was supposed to show most of what she knew to us personally. We just want to pick up a few more techniques, finish our performance season, and we'll be done and out of here. William didn't look convinced. You're going to lose track of time, literally. We'll be fine, we promise, said Jill. She hugged William warmly. William then hugged Asha. I'll see you again soon enough, unfortunately. I don't want you to have to suffer, he said. Don't worry, I won't, she assured him. But he knew better. I would love to pick your brain, said Lloyd. You're my, my hero, I guess, my role model. William threw his arms around Lloyd and practically wept. Lloyd didn't understand. William wanted to tell him his road would be the hardest of all, but it wasn't William's place. And who knew? No narrative was truly pre-written, and all were malleable. He hugged Raven, too. I know we didn't spend as much time together as I had wished, but something about your future and mine is heavily tied together. But it's, it's so far off, I can't make any sense of it. Besides, things may change by then, and in any case, you're going to be my favorite to watch. Finally, he hugged Michael. Please, Michael, practice self-care. It would break my heart to one day find you a sad alcoholic. Michael laughed. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that one, he said. You're a good man, said William, a truly good one. They're so hard to find. William turned back to the group as a whole. I love you all. We'll see each other again, don't worry. For the most part. Be safe. The road is very long and very hard. And get out of here, even though you won't listen. They waved, and he took off. Then they turned and discussed what new experiments and shows they could work on next. Now, we've played bad music before on this podcast. I would argue we've played nothing but bad music on this podcast. And apparently we've decided to end with, I think, literally the worst thing we have ever played. I don't... How low can we sink? Apparently this is our final, lowest point. Here, we've reached it. The depths of what quality comes to die in the ditch. I tend to tell a thicky vicky A story so sad you'll need some whiskey A girl who worked at the counter at a yam so store and loved her cat Oh Vicky, oh Vicky The poor doomed dolly of Bleak Street Jackie had a dolly and her name was Thicky Vic She used to bring it to the coffee shop to hang out with the kids Thicky Vic would sit with Jasper and watch all the VPs play And quietly wish for death while Jackie would try to get laid I remember in the days long 
fast and had a blast Posed in coffee shops with cigarettes Nothing can pierce your parents off Like summoning the dead Vicky, Vicky girl who died when one sad night a unicycle crashed and caught on fire and speaking of fires in the glorious heyday of the voodoo punks when jackie and her crew were running a doll named jasper for mayor of new albion the proverbial poop hit the fan and the city built a huge bonfire the dolls, the dolls, the dolls are on fire. The dolls, the dolls, the dolls are on fire. We don't need no water, let the motherfuckers burn. Burn, motherfuckers, burn. And after that, everything changed. On the day they come, it's over. La, 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 la. They took Vicky and took Dorothy too. in a dark concrete basement with other confiscated dolls. The dolls spent the night playing each other broken, staticky snippets of songs as they attempted to communicate both their misery and their hope of finally being destroyed. Vicky would regale the other dolls with descriptions of her favorite thing in the world she had known when alive, Yam Salve. The Yam Salve soothes, the Yam Salve breaks, the Yam Salve gives, the yam self takes on your bum or on your toes. The yam self cares what ails you most. Well, once upon a time, not long ago, I was wrung out, strung out, feeling real low. I had leeches on my arms, legs, chest, and my feet from shooting up crocodile, heroin, skeet. Amazing yam self, how sweet the sound. It soothes my wounds when I was down. Now I'm healthy in drugs, and no longer do I shoot up yam self. Woohoo! Yam self soothes, the yam self breaks. The yam self gives, the yam self takes On your bum, or on your toes The yam self cures, what ails you most? Finally, one day, after an unknown time Laying in a large heap in the blackness, the door opened It was some men charged with taking the dolls out one by one And throwing them in the fire Bathe in the fire, bathe in the fire. The men stared at the pile and started to complain about the amount of effort it would take to remove all the dolls. So they came up with a better idea. They brought a large container of gasoline and they poured it over the large pile of dolls. And when the pile was sufficiently drenched, they lit a match and threw it in the room. The burning took some time, but as Vicky burned and melted, her lilac paint running off of her, her wooden exterior engulfed in flames, her brass innards melting into liquid, one would swear that her melting face, just for a second, looked like it was smiling. And would anyone like to guess exactly what time it was when all this happened? You, sir, would you like to guess? Yes, it was. 
It's 3 a.m. and silence looms and shadows sulking through the room. I close my eyes and all I hear are grinding rusted iron gears. It's 3 a.m. I sit like worn cracks splintered on the hardwood floor. The street lamp standing arched outside quietly flickers twice and dies. It's 3 a.m. and once again, the lonely nighttime never ends. Like constant packs of cigarettes, I suck into my stale crack breath to brace me for another day where crushed steel anvils pound away and clashing iron chunks of rust scraped 